Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to, I think, what week of the season? We're in like week four. Matt, we'll call it match day four, match day five. Match day four. Match day four, I think. Uh, just I can't completed count. match day four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of close-ish. <laughs> so <laughs> match day four-ish plus the international break. The season is fully underway. The season in England, at the very least, is very much underway. We have a lot to discuss um thank god the international break is done thank god club football for all, is back. Of, us. For all of us but but only again only for like less than a month and then we go back to <laughs> the uh fifa pronounced schedule of international matches every month until march because yeah, for world cup qualifiers yeah <laughs> which is for, no, for now for now at least until until we get this world cup every two years no. Oh, we should. Oh, we should do another podcast about that separately because that is that's, that's an interesting one. That's yeah. a great nap. That, that, that the only thing I'll say from that is I'm like almost blinded by how much better it would be to have just two uh international breaks during the season, which is what, what the proposal yeah. is, is like two pretty much one month long international breaks during the season. Uh, to do all the qualifiers i'm like almost so blinded by that <laughs> and i'm like yeah sure why not let's do it like <laughs> just a month of international game. yeah because it's like a mini it's like a mini tournament almost. yeah i was like that would, that would actually kind of be fun yeah but, uh, <laughs> but then but then it's like oh wait these players are human beings so <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're looking at it through the purview of fifa who looks at players as literal robots who <laughs> i mean they look at players as money machines money uh, of course yes like, yes <laughs> money making robots i yeah. sincerely apologize <laughs> well anyway ladies and gentlemen we're going to be talking a little bit about the premier league for this one we're going to talk about the star striking storybook return of cristiano ronaldo to old trafford of course they beat out newcastle four to one a very lackluster Newcastle, all truth be told. Um, but nonetheless, uh, of still a big win marked by Ronaldo's return. And then we've got our questions. We're going to get into a couple of pretty interesting topics that have actually come up in the last couple of days in the Premier League. Um, some controversial, some not, um, and some just generally I don't know, thought-provoking? I guess that's that's kind of the whole purpose. We hope of, so. We hope yeah, that it yeah. provokes some thought. <laughs> Otherwise, you can just stop listening if you're not provoked by thought at this point. So, anyway, Rian, what, uh, did I see you this weekend? I did not see you this weekend. That's uh, Honestly, that's my fault. That is not that is not Rian's fault. Rian wanted to play soccer this weekend. I was too lazy to move. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get some touches in before my, um, my, my intramural leagues or rec league starts next sunday true wow and, uh, that is coming I think was, soon. yeah i think i've played in probably a month or so so yeah, yeah i would like to get i'd like to get some touches in yeah it is it is gonna be a very sad sight when i turn up to these leagues extremely <laughs> out of shape and just uh it's that's just not gonna be pretty good lord and it's it's uh, i mean sunday league dude I, there's the expectations are so <laughs> low at sunday league i know i know it just depends on the group of people that you're playing with honestly you True. can be i've realized that you could be fit in these leagues and not have very good ball skills and you'll probably be just fine 
because yes. <laughs> everybody there is like very out of shape. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I will not be I'll not be box to box. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I will I will be squarely a center back in I will the be most traditional one box, sense. <laughs> just one box. <laughs> the one box man. Yeah. Oh man. Well, anyway, let's talk about a team that did not spend their whole time. Actually, probably did spend most of their time in the opposing third. Um, the opponent's box, Manchester United. Rian, that's pr- probably the story of the weekend. Um, Ronaldo marking his return to the Premier League to Manchester United with two goals, a wonderful tap-in brace um, all around for, <laughs> for Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> all right. The first one, yes. The first one was definitely a tap-in. Agreed. The second, Agreed. The the second, second one was one, just, okay. The second one was a bit surprising that he still had that little burst of pace, honestly. No, but... it, it was. I'll 100% give him that. And then I will also fault the entirety of Newcastle's back line for forgetting how to play the sport of football um, in order to defend that shot. So we'll, we'll, I'll say that much and I'll have other <laughs> thoughts along the way, but what did you make of this game? You know, what was your thoughts on United, how they looked um, Bruno, obviously also scoring a non penalty goal, um, a wonderful, wonderful goal, by the way. Yeah. Um, I will give credit where credit is due, despite my, uh, just I wouldn't say hatred towards Bruno, agenda underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I think agenda is pretty fair. I'll say it. I said what I said. <laughs> um, yeah, I think th- this was so much emotion in the first. I feel like twenty minutes of this game, where I, even Ronaldo said himself after the game that he was that he was nervous, like right before this game, which you know you wouldn't expect a player of his stature to be a player who's played in what's five, five different champions league finals. Um, you wouldn't expect a guy like that to be nervous going in, going into a, uh, going to a game, a, a debut for a club that he's played for already. Right. But um, you could tell like pretty early on, they were trying to get him the ball a little bit. Um, and so that, that's an interesting thing to look at like going forward in this season but he wasn't as involved in the actual attacking play as I thought he would have been for even his first game back um even though they were looking for him but props to him he really did just kind of pick his moments in this game right like I I know they didn't create a whole lot in that first half they did get into the final third a lot and got to the box a lot and kind of ran out of like crossed to the ball a lot and took 20 something yard shots a fair amount but in the end I think it's a Mason Greenwood shot that ends up getting like deflected into the keeper and the keeper does a really poor job dealing with the ball but so you admit the it. Last... They were all tap. Uh, no, no, on the first goal. On the first goal. <laughs> I know, no, I, I know. The first one was absolutely a tap in. But um, credit the man for his just kind of, I don't know, nose for the goal, um, Ronaldo there, because he's just in the right place at the right time, as he kind of so often is. Um, and once he scored the first goal, the place like just erupted as you would expect um 
of course we were going to see the Sioux celebration <laughs> at <Old> Trafford. And, <laughs> Which is, and, uh, I think now, like one of the most popular celebrations easily. in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then United are such a front-running team that once they get a lead, it's like they come after like wave after wave and it's and they're they're not looking to control the game once they take the lead they're looking to <laughs> they're looking for chaos shoot even more yeah they're yeah. like we're gonna shoot even more now that we're now that we're leading right and uh we still saw the same kind of issues with um newcastle's goal when they equalize it was just they're still kind of easy to play through especially when pogba is playing deeper as he is as he as he has to now um that guy that uh that we, we said oh they might have figured out the position for him like just being closer to the goal and stuff um it would be hard to imagine him playing that advanced um throughout the rest of the season as long as bruno and um cristiano ronaldo are in this the lineup at the same time so um a lot of interesting stuff Alice, what did, what did you see so one of the most interesting things that I was just looking forward to seeing, like not, like game aside, just tactically, right? Because again, you know, our listeners know, like I just like thinking about things from a tactical point of view. Like how do you set up your team going into a game? Because that will, especially in this case, kind of show us what is this team going to look like in the next couple of months? It's not just, uh, I guess, a, a look into this specific game. It's a look into, I think, the next several months. And one of the more, I guess, interesting things to me was how Nemanja Matic was used. And obviously, Fred had his own issues with health authorities, I think, not still not being able to let the Brazilian players play. Um, but the one thing that I thought Matic did well is Phil at least avoid in kind of the half space that Pogba uh, just um, what's called not evaded, but um, escaped from right. De- defensively, we obviously recognize that Matic is not the strongest uh, or sorry, not the fastest player. Um, can't really cover as much ground, but his positioning is still, I think pretty, pretty important. Um, and I thought he did a fine job in this game. I think there were times where again, he's going to be caught out more than more than once. And it's going to look really, really bad, which again, reiterates Manchester United's need need for a very strong, young, fast, versatile holding midfielder. But I think for the time being, Newcastle made him look good. Um, The other thing that I will say that was really interesting to me is how Sancho and Greenwood surrounded Ronaldo. One of the things that I was looking to understand is what is United's, best front three slash front four. And I think we got to look into what that might be with Sancho, I think on the left and, and Greenwood on the right, both of them are very good at getting to the byline and not to say that Ronaldo's only best quality is just heading the ball or, or finding the right space in between center backs, but at his age where he's not, you know, assisting from deep he never really did but like assisting from deep or dragging and dribbling the ball through kind of the midfield through into the attacking third that's not his job anymore and it it kind of it genuinely gave me a little bit of hope like 
that maybe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can find a way to actually use him well. And maybe there's a chance that this works even better when Rashford comes back from injury. So those were kind of the two things that stood out to me. Um, notice how I didn't mention Bruno Fernandez at all. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to another day. If, if he so deserves. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. I, I, I'd say pretty interesting point on, on uh, Sancho. It, it still seems like he's struggling to find um maybe part of it is like finding his footing in, the, in a mm-hmm. new league um i i wonder if part of it too is like a more abstract role it feels like because you know you would have it, it wasn't he was not stuck to the left wing like yeah at, at all and and i you, think sorry go ahead go ahead no no i was gonna say i was gonna say like you would expect you would have expected when he came in that okay um he played a lot on the right for Borussia Dortmund kind of cutting inside and, and assisting for the most part from those areas and then being very dangerous on the counters. And, and you would think there was kind of a obvious spot for him in United's attack was just like on that right side to provide the attacking with an attacking talent pretty much that is missing when it was Aaron Juan Basaka and Daniel James as the as the guys on the right side, right there, and you would expect too, you know, the team counterattacks very well. You'd expect that he he could slot in to that too. But it's uh, his role is going to be, I feel, less defined um, in this United team, a team that does rely a lot on individual moments of brilliance, which obviously Sancho has the talent to do that. Um, but I think he also needs like the runners and he also needs like the players to make specific movements as well for him, for him to be able to shine in like in his creating ability. Right. So, so that's something I'll be interested to see going forward, but just, um, my last thing of this fun stat from this game, uh, Ronaldo and Bruno combined for 11 shots. All of Bruno's five shots came from outside the box for a combined XG of 0.2. Um, <laughs> he scored a banger. His goal, I think, was actually the closest one of his shots to goal. Yeah. And that was still from like 22 or 23 out. He tried, of course, he tried some of it vicious uh, David <laughs> Beckham-esque shot from, from, um, from like just to the left of the, the center circle. Uh, meanwhile, like Ronaldo, five of his six shots came from inside from inside the box. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see if going forward, that's kind of what it is. Like Ronaldo yep. just pretty much in the box taking his shots there, and Bruno is just hitting them from outside. So you know, you got there'll be like shocking COVID. One's a perimeter, <laughs> and the yeah, other yeah. is a center, just taking, just doing all the high percentage shots. So that's that'll be. Also, something I'm looking at going forward. That's title of the podcast right there. Shaq and Kobe. I, I love that analogy. I'm literally throwing that in our Zoom chat as we speak to remember <laughs> to name that the podcast. Um, I, I 100% agree. And I, I think, again, that speaks to Ronaldo's role. We got a glimpse into that for this team this season. He's going to be in around the penalty area. Purely goal scorer, purely finisher, which is... Again, his strength, like he will find the net if you give him the ball. 
Let's be very clear. That is absolutely his strength. So I, I was pleasantly surprised by United this weekend. And I think that'll probably lead us to our question later down the line, but anything else that you'd want to say on Newcastle at the very least, if uh, um, there are any parting words, not, not, not a lot. They, they were the, the one goal that they, the, uh, I think it was Mankio's goal, very well taken. Um, oh, that's that's I think, kind. <laughs> I think they're yeah, it was a well taken goal. Like the shot was good. The shot was yeah. good. Um, I they have not had luck against United um, the last couple of years. I I just don't think that they have enough to um, really threaten United, and, and that's that's like the fun stuff with with watching these teams and their tactical setups. So I was like, sometimes you have to wait for like the real stress test to for the teams. And I don't think Newcastle is a good barometer for how tested can this United system be, right? They're not, I don't think they have the talent or the or the attacking organization to um, to really ask United questions. So. We'll see. We'll see. Um, going forward, I, I don't, I don't remember who United play next, but this is a team that's gonna be tested more than than they were this um, this past weekend. I, actually, they play West Ham next week, so that should be more of a test. True, very true. They play young boys, I think, in the Champions League first, um, but very much West Ham will be a a, a true test. So. I will. The last thing, only thing I'll say on Newcastle is that I still, th- I think that um, what's it, Saint Saint Maximine is that? I think that's how. You oh say yeah, it. Um, deserves better. <laughs> Just a fun. Yeah, he's a fun player. He's, yeah, he's such a fun player. Wonderful. So, anyway, with that, we're gonna move on to Rian's first question for the pod for this week. Rian, your question. Yeah, so this past weekend we saw Liverpool pretty easily handle uh, Leeds United, winning 3-0. Unfortunately, lost Harvey Elliott for probably a few months. um, At minimum. At minimum, yeah. A a nasty, nasty uh, result of a tackle by, I think it was strike on um, Leeds United where he, he dislocated his ankle. But also within this game, Mo Salah coming up with his 100th Premier League goal. Or sorry, or, yes, yes, 100 Premier League goals. Because it, it's, I think it's 98 for Liverpool and two for Chelsea. So, so the, the value is very Oh, funny. actually? But, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. kind of funny. It's not 100 for Liverpool. It's, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. That's really funny. <laughs> but, you know, looking at him from the consistency of the last basically since he's come back to the Premier League at 2017, um, his consistency, how important he's been to Liverpool, to Klopp's Liverpool. Um, the fact that last season he was pretty much the only guy that was still scoring at a very good level for for Liverpool and, and is a big reason why they were even still within touching distance of the top four going into those last uh, 10 games of the season. I wonder, Elias, would we speak about him in a brighter light, in a, like, he's one of the four or five best players 
in the in the least one of the four or five best attackers in the world we would talk about that a lot more if he wasn't egyptian if he was south american or western european or, or simply like not african uh, so i wonder if your thoughts on this do you think that us and the media in general would hold him at a higher pedestal if he wasn't egyptian yeah um when you said that question over, like it honestly, like I spent a solid like five to 10 minutes just thinking about it. And it's a very valid question because I think if you look back at some of the absolute tip top best African players of all time, right? Your Samuel Eto's, your Didier Drogba's, your Yaya Torres, right? If you look back at what they did, they had one very common trait. And that was that they either stayed at a major club for a while and became a legend within a specific club, or they were so good to the point where, you know, generally the media people, you know, fans, et cetera, would go out of their way to watch them play outside of necessarily just for their club. And I don't necessarily think a lot of people will go out of their way to watch Mo Salah outside of Liverpool. And I'm not saying that's the only reason why, you know, people might not look at him as one of the top five attackers in the world. But I think that is in large part down to it, because if you think about, let, let, let me just kind of throw out a name, right? <clears throat> Lotaro Martinez, a player who has had an outstanding career so far at Inter, as well as with Argentina. I think there are probably the same number of people that could tell you about Lautaro Martinez as they could about Mo Salah over the last two years. And in large part, I think that's down to visibility. And yes, I do think to answer your question, that's in large part down to the fact that he is Egyptian because you slap a Spanish tag on that man and he is Ballon d'Or in contention, essentially. He just is because of because of the nature of what comes with i hate to use this phrase because it's a meme but football heritage <laughs> so I, I i to answer your question yes i i absolutely do think that there is an element of that it's unfortunate but i think liverpool fans in particular will only realize how important mosala has been when he leaves that's the only time oh agreed and I, you, you bring up Samuel Eto'o as a great comparison because that is a situation where I feel like would Samuel Eto'o be put on that pedestal if he never played for Barcelona? Like, I, I think that's another, that's like another avenue to, to raise your profile to that level, right? Play either, you know, be South American or Western European or, whatever or play for Barcelona or Real Madrid and that'll get you global notoriety as well that's another way to do it and so, so I, I wonder about that because I think it's I think it's maybe not unanimous but I think the majority of people will say that Samuel Otto is probably the greatest African player um, that's ever played well, un- undoubtedly, and, yeah, like, <laughs> that, yeah, that would be a very high bar to pass. Yeah, and 
this is this is not a very high bar, but Mosala is most definitely the best Arabic Muslim player to ever play <laughs> to ever play soccer as well. Like I don't think that's no disrespect to anyone that I might be missing. No, there, Paul Pogba but... in comparison. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. I shouldn't say Muslim. I should just I just say Arab Arab player yeah. really. Um and that's like undeniable, but I wonder if the transfer market was normal and Barcelona, Real Madrid were both in a secure financial position. I feel a good, I have a feeling that he could have ended up going to one of those two teams. And especially this past summer where it feels yeah. like Liverpool would have been okay with selling him for like a hundred million <laughs> like yeah. this summer, um, this past summer or the one before that. Uh, so I so I wonder if if there's a timeline where he's on Real Madrid and people finally are like, okay, this is this is the one guy to rival Samuel Eto'o because that's very arguable at the moment. I, obviously, as a Chelsea fan, you like to throw Didi Drogba up on the pedestal as well. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that's the I, like someone has to let us know if we're missing anyone. But that feels well, like I, the I, three I, I best say, African. No, no, no. I I will say that. Mo Salah will never reach Samuel Eto'o's level. That, yeah, that, that, I don't think I, so. Like, I don't, think, so I don't think he's going to reach it, nor do I think he's going to get close, quite honestly. And that's because I think Samuel Eto'o is so much higher on a pedestal yeah. than anybody yeah. else. Drogba included, Yaya Tori, et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Because find me another player that's won back-to-back troubles at different clubs, and <laughs> we'll have a conversation then. Yeah, Eto'o's more technically, I think he's more technically gifted. Um mm. Than, than those than those other players we mentioned too. But but to your point, like the whole idea of Mosala going to a quote unquote big big club, Real Madrid have shown interest in the last year in Mosala. Like it's no secret that they have absolutely shown interest, and <laughs> I think Mosala himself said that uh, no one's talked to me about a Liverpool extension recently in the last like couple of months. Yeah. So. It's still entirely possible. And I think that deep down, there's probably a part of him that says, if I'm to leave Liverpool, A, I would want to go to a place like Real Madrid, you know, one of the top five teams in the world. It was like the next step. Yep. Because it's probably his last big move in his career. So uh, I'll tell you what, you, Real Madrid would most definitely rather spent that hundred million on him than <laughs> Eden Hazard. So, like, <laughs> at the time, at the time, it was not True. the investment that everybody would have thrown out there as yeah. the one to make. But now it's like, geez, yeah, Papa Paris just, must uh, not must not be happy. No, and just a couple stats to to lead us off with before we um before we head into the next question. Mohamed Salah, this is from the Tactical Times Twitter account. With of players with a hundred Premier League goals, only Thierry Henry, Sergio Aguero, and Harry Kane have a better goals to game ratio. Wow, that means he's ahead of Alan Shearer, Ian yeah. Wright, Robin Wayne, Van Persie, Wayne Rooney, Dwayne Rooney, Jamie Vardy, Michael Owen, and Andy Cole. So it's like Michael Owen too. Wow, yeah, interesting. Um, and then since 2017, which was his first season back in the uh, in the Premier League, only Ronaldo, Messi, and Lewandowski have scored more goals, and he's second only to Lionel Messi in 
non-penalty goals to non-penalty expected goals ratio and second only second to Messi in assists wow that's that is extremely impressive and to and to think that he is still very underrated yeah yeah you make a good point you make a very good point (laughs) we should um I guess we should call him Mohamed Saltino or something, just change his nationality yeah. <laughs> and elevate him to that, to that next level. Yeah. But, he was like, I don't even know if he was like Mark Salmonson or some <laughs> shit like that. He would probably, he'd probably be, be, be at a higher level. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Mohamed uh, Dasala <laughs> and play for the Dutch, Dutch national team. Yeah. Yeah, that would have worked out well. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, a very interesting debate nonetheless. Um, the second question, this is a question from me that I had for Riyam because it's something that I was thinking about after the Liverpool game as well. And it's more so about Leeds, right? A team that Riyam and I with Mar- uh, Marcel, uh, oh, my God, I can't even talk anymore. But <laughs> with Bielsa at the helm, we really thought that this team would continue to grow into the second season, into the sec- second season of the Premier League, I should say. And they seemingly have not hit their stride just yet. I- I'm-, I'm saying this very cautiously because they've had a brutal start to the year and that can't be underrated. But I'd be hard-pressed to say that they've had anything close to the start that they would have wanted, right? And I think this Liverpool game was a good example of just how stubborn Marcelo Bielsa can actually be in his playing style. And this is what you get as a Leeds fan. You get someone who is so absolutely just stuck in his ways and it's a blessing and a curse. But I guess to to go back to my question, are Leeds currently suffering from their own style of play, you know, in relation to how many points they've won, or is this still the best long-term strategy for them? That that second part of the question is very interesting. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But for the first part, are they suffering from their own playing style? I I have to say yes because we kind of seen it over these first two seasons, where not every game, but in a majority of the games that they played against the most talented teams in the Premier League they have a propensity to get absolutely tonked to get just <laughs> destroyed <laughs> right what a word choice honestly <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously like looking at some of their results from from these past two seasons and this is just against the teams that finished in the top 4 last year um 5-1 loss versus manchester united 6-2 loss versus manchester united um three no loss to liverpool three four loss in the first game last season they did draw with liverpool in one of in one of the games last season um drew with city one one and then actually ended up winning their second game against city two one and lost to chelsea three one and drew with them nil nil and it's very funny to me there that city and chelsea did not have the same sort of resounding success against Leeds and it goes back to what we mentioned on the first 
podcast after the after the season started um in england where at right after leeds lost 5-1 to united where you know i said they're just a terrible matchup for leeds and, and any sort of team with intelligent move off ball movement and superior athleticism has a real good chance of putting a lot of goals against this leeds team who you know as great as this playing style is to watch you know the players on the field themselves a lot of them are still players that came up from the championship right and, and not to dog on the championship but but just uh, the, the level it. do it, it just it's, <laughs> it's just a step in athleticism really yeah. is the biggest it feels like the biggest gap the quality is a smaller gap than than i think most people think but the athleticism is a genuine gap um and it's why you see a lot of these teams come up here and play more conservatively um we're seeing Norwich have the same issues in their beginning to this season too they're trying to play this nice football but they can't really defend um these superior athletic players um that they meet in the Premier League and that's an issue that that Leeds has against these big teams I mean the other issue is that they are genuinely not a good defensive team you know they 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 drew against Burnley in a game that was you know single game xg is not the best indicator of how a game went but they basically tied burnley in terms of xg yeah. 1.4 to 1.5 um that's not a team that you should be allowing <laughs> Con- those good of chances yeah. to yeah. right um not everyone has that issue against burnley most teams don't actually so to answer your question i think the playing style is not conducive to long-term success if the quality slash athleticism is not gonna also make a big jump right and right you wonder if he's gonna get that time anyway I'm not saying that they're in any danger of being relegated or anything like that but it's more of um getting stale or or like this like there's I think there's always this chance that this can that for Lisa can get very bad for like a four or five games depending on injuries depending on tiredness so um I think this playing style it's very much like on a knife's edge it's like even like last season they were pretty much um I think they were the goal the expected goal difference was something like negative 0.1 or something like yeah. that so like they're they're very much they're not they don't control games i'll put it that way they they have a very hard time controlling games which is long term not not a great sign of um success yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head at the end there that they don't they don't know how to control games and I think that does stem back to the fact that a majority of these players are the same players that came up from the championship. There have, of course, been players that they've come in, Rodrigo being, I think, a really good example of that, that have come in and elevated them from more of a tactical point of view and probably someone who plays the way Bielsa loves to play. But at the same time, it's like a regression to the mean. Like, I hate to kind of phrase it that way, but it's reality that a team that does not continue to add Premier League level talent will not be able to sustain itself in the Premier League 
And I'm not here to say that Leeds will get relegated or anything like that, but the way they have started the season has truly exposed their weaknesses in the back line, like even more so than last season. Like you would think that there would be a step up in quality because of experience, because of at least some semblance of being able to manage the squad better in the Premier League, but it hasn't shown. And I think that is absolutely cause for concern. I will say now as leads kind of get off of the, the, you know, tough schedule that they've had to start the season. I think they can at least look forward to the fact that they play Newcastle, West Ham, Watford and Southampton in the next few games. So that should keyword should be a little bit easier on them. But again, it's, they still need to they still need to improve because I don't know if you've looked ahead in the uh, in the schedule at all, but if you look at their I think it's their December, they yeah, go Chelsea, City, <laughs> Arsenal, Liverpool, <laughs> back to back to back to back. And then Villa right after Liverpool, too. Who Oh, and then I Villa, think. yes. Yeah. yeah. Um so season-defining stretch that yeah that, that could be that could be really like they need to pick up their points heading into that and heading into that um stretch and just like one last thing i think before we maybe head to a break here the the reason that leads the, the reason a good thing to throw in in terms of why leads can't control games as well is like outside of the quality the way that they play, the kind of just forward, 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 um, don't like keep possession to slow the game down kind of thing. That plus defensively, it's man marking everywhere. And this is where like, the gap in athleticism, the gap in athleticism really shows when they play exactly. against big teams. Um, it's also why they can't really arrest control of games because defensively when they when the ball turns over now it's it just takes a bit of intelligent movement to actually (laughs) be able to create chances against them and um they don't try to just have a really tough shape to play against right so it's i don't want to use the word suicidal but (laughs) you know it, it it's it's not the best way to um, kind of maximize your chances of uh, winning any particular game uh, when you play like this. It's always going to kind of be on a knife's edge and more of a factor of who can finish better. That's what a lot yeah. of the games feel like. Yeah, 100%. You hit the nail on that. I, that is just an exhausting way to play, ultimately. But let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the rest of the league and uh, what's going on at the top. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the last question. Let's jump right into it. Rian, your last question. Por favor. Yes, Elias. We have hinted at this. Um, I think at least a couple times since the season has started, the talent gap between the top four and the rest of the Premier League, especially after the, the summers that all four of them had uh, compared uh, to everyone else. The, mon- the monetary discussion we could have right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but Ellie, it's just a more specific question on that. How big does this gap really feel? Like, how big of a gap do you feel like it actually is between Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and the rest of the Premier League? Does it feel like it's like there's almost no chance that no one else finishes it, that someone else finishes in the top <laughs> four? Or am I am I like over hyping it from the fact that in the first four games? Man City is the only one of those four to actually lose in a game where against Tottenham, where if they finish one of those 600 chances in the first <laughs> in the first half, they probably win it handedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the gap between the top four and the rest of the league has widened in the last two and a half to three years and very noticeably because I think three years ago, you had a duopoly. Last year, two years ago, probably still had a duopoly slash maybe a third team breaking into the mold, i.e. Manchester United. And then last year, you definitely had at least four teams that were slowly beginning to make their way into the running. Now, this season, you can already see that it is those four teams and not much else. There's a fall off. And then I would argue kind of a combination of Spurs, Leicester, maybe West Ham and maybe Everton too. So uh, the Brighton erasure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Again, regression to the mean. We got to wait. So I listen, I, I do think that the gap is significantly wider than it was um, a couple of years ago. And I think there is a very direct correlation between money spent, as Rian has written about, as we have talked about, between money spent and a like literal quant- quantitative gap in the table. I do also think, however, that these four teams at the top are not, or they are still susceptible to dropping points. Like they are not immune from playing let's call it a Burnley and or a Crystal Palace for example United fans will know this they were very very vulnerable at times and that cannot be understated but I think the power at the top just purely on a monetary basis is scary in some ways and it's it's something to look out for over the next I would say three to five years but I don't I, I don't think that this is my kind of surprise prediction. I don't think that this, I guess, four-team race at the top continues until the end of the season. I think we're going to see at least one, maybe two teams start to fall off towards the end of the season. And do you mean that, like, in a sense of fall off from being from from being like a chase? Yeah, 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 from being like a champion yeah. or a, a Premier League, um, you know, contender. Basically, yeah. I, I don't think you're going to see potentially. I don't want to make any predictions now, but I would say Liverpool are probably the least likely to make a run for the title this season out of the top four. I could see them really falling off, not to like below Europa League or something, yeah, but like yeah. in terms like of points really falling chances. off this season might be like being seven points off of first or something, exactly. being eight points off of first, which you know is very different from past years. But I, I see what you mean. Right. Yeah. So it's like again to throw some numbers on this. These four teams are have combined 
for a goal difference of plus 34. <laughs> Good God. They combined to concede seven goals and scored, if my math is correct here, 40, 30 goals, 30 goals, seven conceded. No oh other team God. in the league has a goal difference better of plus five, which is West Ham. And from our friends at 538, Manchester United, who have the quote-unquote worst odds of all of those top four teams at making the top four, sit at a 60% chance of making top four, where the next best is Spurs at 20%. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at the other big five leagues, in quotations, the difference between fourth and fifth and 538's percentages in league on it's a difference of seven percent in the bundesliga it's 24 percent in syria it's two percent and in la liga it's four percent are you the difference between (laughs) wow yeah between the fourth and fifth best odds at making the champions league places so (laughs) this is what i'm saying yeah, it's it's not just seen on the field. It's like these teams are so on paper, and and if we've seen it even in the results so far, right? Even when when a team like Chelsea, who threw out Saul in in, in his first ever Premier League game, and he he did not have the best debut, but he he. <laughs> He's hooked after 45 minutes of playing pretty poorly and Jorginho comes on and Raul Lukaku, who has only two shots in the game, scores them beautifully and they don't play that well and still end up winning 3-0. Right. So it's like, that's kind of what everyone has to contend with right now. Even when these teams don't play necessarily well, Manchester United, who have, I feel like, the best set of finishers in the league right now. I'm just pure guys that can finish. Chelsea, who obviously are buoyed now by someone who can finish at a good level. And, you know, Liverpool, of course, and Manchester City, who, granted, don't have the greatest set of finishers, but it's like death by a thousand cuts. With them, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like these teams feel so inevitable and it's only four games in too so you know maybe we're overreacting but these I, I would in, say in a lot of these games feel inevitable Chelsea being probably the most inevitable right now City being second to them in my opinion Chelsea I think have added another level of ah oh, shit you know to to this team of like it's like if if you're not starting <laughs> Kovacic you have the opportunity to play Saul if you're not starting Lukaku, you can still start some combination of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. If you're not starting Thiago Silva, you're starting a very informed Christensen or Rudiger. Like it's it's this relentless money spending on squad depth that other teams simply cannot achieve. And that's directly led to that gap. And it's interesting to me that the quantitative difference in, I, I guess, money spending power in the Premier League is probably one of the lowest in terms of 
getting, you know, money for TV rights and from the league, et cetera. Like that, that monetary difference across the league is very small versus in other leagues where that difference is massive. But you see the influence that outside money has on every team at the top, basically. And that right there is the reason why I think that you're seeing the massive, massive point. Well, we'll see a massive points gap between the top four and the bottom or not the bottom, but the rest of the league. The last thing I'll mention on this, it's not Premier League related, but there's a reason why PSG did not sell Mbappe to Real Madrid for 200 million euros. And it's solely because money does not matter to them in the same way that it it very much matters to the top four teams in, in the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, especially to Liverpool. It, de- it definitely matters. But what matters more to the owners, to people outside of the institution of the club, is, I, I guess, this concept of glory, right? Being able to win the Champions League, being able to win the Premier League, right? Those metrics and those trophies matter way more than how much you spend or how much you buy because they view that as a means to an end and everyone else does not view it that way. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't put it better myself. So I'll leave, I'll leave you on that. No, that's all I've got. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I think that's a great, great place to stop off there. Um, So Ellie, the, the next thing for you, player team, uh, even if you want to throw a coach in, who who was the most, who are you most impressed by in the Premier League this past weekend? For me, quite honestly, um, I don't know if you'll entirely love my answer. Um, I I was genuinely impressed with basically the entire Crystal Palace team, but more so. Um, the combination of Edward and Zaha, like I thought were just exemplary. Like they gave, ugh, unfortunately they gave Emerson fits <laughs> this entire game. And I hate to say it. Uh, another tough lie. debut, another tough debut from a La Liga player. That's <laughs> who he can, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. He got a rude awakening Poor Emerson. Um, but I, I think that Crystal Palace were just wonderful to watch. I mean, they, I think they allowed Tottenham two total shots and then maybe one on target, if that. Um, dominated yeah. possession. Uh, I mean, everywhere. They were absolutely everywhere and they deserve to win without a doubt. Tanganga, or Tang, oh my God. Um, Tanganga. Tanganga, yeah. Thank you. Um, kind of threw his team to the shitter, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> in the, I mean, you could very well see that Nuno was just like, well, this is where I should have just gone home. So I, I was very, very impressed with um, with Crystal Palace. That would, that would be my general pick. So good pick. Yeah, I, mean, is that, is I, that... I was going <laughs> to say the same. I was going to say Crystal Palace as well. Oh, really? Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Um, like, dominated Tottenham. Like no shots allowed against Tottenham in the first half. Um, granted, a lot of this is helped by the fact that Tottenham played a midfield three of Hoiberg, Winks, and Oliver Skip. Three defensive midfielders. <laughs> where honestly, 
of all those three, Hoiberg is the, probably the best passer and the most adventurous of all of them. If you're just looking at how he played for Denmark, like, which is just <laughs> weird, which is a, which which is the is the problem from playing that that midfield trio. But Crystal Palace absolutely did not allow anything. Like they they played, they dominated that midfield in a way that any good team should have considering that none of those three players are going to cause you any problems in your final third. Just, just simply, they're not going to cause you any problems in terms of creating chances against you. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it was the first time in Harry Kane's career as well, where he had no shot and no touches in the box at all. Um, It was really impressive from palace. Like even, even though whatever you could say, Oh, that, that sending off from Tanganga changes the game whatever. But up until that point, Tottenham caused no threat whatsoever to Crystal Palace and it was all it was more likely that Palace was going to win that game up until that red card and they deservedly took advantage of the of their man advantage and um like you said you know great debut for for us and Edward um another goal for Connor Gallagher who I think now has I think has three goals for them so far (laughs) he's had a really good start to the season for Palace and yeah, this is a Palace team. Is interesting. They're very. Is he on loan from Chelsea? Yes, he's yeah, he's on loan. I keep, I've um, lost track of how many people are on loan from Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, so the army, the loan army. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, this this Palace team is very interesting because they lost a lot of their older players after last season. A lot of them were just out of contract, left on a free, and they've completely changed the whole makeup of the squad. Like it's it's a much younger team now, and we'll see how well Patrick Vieira does, you know, in in the, in the full season, but. There's, there's at least more that man's hatred for spurs just must run so <laughs> yeah deep. yeah he's never lost as a player coach now so good for him yep yep um yeah this house team is is way more interesting than they have been in the past few years i will at least say that so it's a shame that zaha does not play for a, a bigger club i'll i'll Again, the guy I said loves what violence I said. too much he loves violence too much. <laughs> <laughs> as you saw he got he kind of he like maybe he played Ted Giga, but also he just gets really angry whenever you foul him remotely hard. Anyway, I know. so that's I know. So, like that's just kind of who he is. Um, but a quick recap through the through the rest of the league um, from this past weekend. Obviously, we touched on we just touched on a Palace and Tottenham, where Palace won three nil. Uh, West Ham a bit disappointing and nil nil against Southampton. Arsenal did what everyone else has been doing to Norwich this season and smacked them. <laughs> Just smacked them. Like it's, it, I mean, look, not in the scoreline, but the XG was three for Arsenal and Norwich had 0.6. So if anything, I mean, the goal that Arsenal end up finally scoring their first Premier League goal of the season is a really funny one and clumsy as hell. Yeah. Um, but they deserve to win that game for sure. Um, 100%. Wolves finally finished the ball. And and um, for now, they are not quite the Brighton of this season, but it still feels like they might end up being that. Um, Again, they won, they won regression to the mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they won 2-0 against Watford. Um, speaking of Brighton, they just keep finishing at a great level. I mean, this one, <laughs> they racked up 0.2 at XG from this game, but they're – their goal in this one no win was just a really nice goal from Trossard, a really, really good curling effort. Um, 
then also we touched on Manchester City. Like they end up beating Leicester one nil. Uh, felt very much again interested to see how this goes on for the rest of the season, but felt very much like. City the year that Liverpool won the title where a lot of chances created they put up 2.8 next XG to Leicester's 0.8 they were in the box they had something like they destroyed Leicester in the shots yeah um high 20s I think Leicester had like eight shots throughout the whole game but still they only end up getting that one goal um like a, a bit of luck but a good finish nonetheless from Bernardo Silva who easily could have been sold this this summer um and they end up getting the win um and i think we've talked about the rest of them united's 4-1 win chelsea beating villa 3-0 off of just really good finishing from ramu lukaku and tyrone mings having a terrible day at the office that included <laughs> him getting megged by <laughs> by Cesar Aspiliqueta. Yeah, <laughs> so, not great. Not not the best. Especially especially as uh as someone who could be looking to leave. Yeah. So so um that plus Liverpool's 3-0 win against Leeds that rounds up everything. Oh, uh, Everton's 3-1 win against Burnley today. Oh, right? that's true. I did forget well, about we'll that. We'll see with this Everton team, but Rafa has them playing a very tactical masterclass yeah very comfortable (laughs) way they look very comfortable playing the way that they that they're playing right now they look so much more exciting than they did after like the first couple months of last season with Ancelotti and uh the Damari Gray signing was like one and a half million pounds a guy who was kind of out in the cold for the most part he's bouncing around Europe (laughs) yeah um he scored three three in his last three games um they look really fun on the counter it, again hard to really say that you think they, that they have a that good of a chance of making top four i don't think they do but i definitely can see them finishing higher than last season um, yeah they definitely feel like a team in contention for for being the sixth or fifth best team so best of luck to them and they're kind of a conflicted <laughs> situation that they're in with Rafa Benitez as their manager, but as long as they win, I'm I'm sure they'll find a way to. They'll look the other way as until things start going poorly. Yeah, that's yeah. not going to change. But uh, that that rounds it out from the weekend. Well, beautifully said, my friend. Beautifully done. And with that, we'll be back later in the week. Of course, the Champions League is back this week, so I can't wait to watch us play Bayern because that'll be fun um yeah so the rest of the Champions League is gonna be great uh we'll be back after this week's Champions League games we'll talk about La Liga we'll talk about the Champions League and I'll probably have some therapy sessions with Rian um his rates are pretty good so anyway all right (laughs) we will talk to you guys in a little bit thanks guys